Philadelphia. My name is Dave Diorio. You can find me on Twitter at fat underscore lobster. And I am joined by two guys who have no alibi for the Fletcher Cox home invasion. Just saying. What's up, oh. Chuck and Gene? I, I didn't know I should have my attorney present. Uh, this is Chuck Siders. Uh, my activity is well-documented online at Chuck Siders uh, on Twitter. You can find the show at Potadelphia. And uh, my name is Gene Zelak, and you can find me at Producer Gene. And uh, it is noted that in the home invasion at Fletcher, Co- Fletcher Cox's place, apparently it was perpetrated by a Cowboys fan or former Cowboys player, something. The Cowboys were involved. So I want Troy Aikman's alibi is frankly is what I want. Wait, is that is that for real? There's some tie to the Dallas Cowboys. Either this is one of those like, you know, there's a Cowboys fan um, you know, I was not prepared with research, but I did read that there was some sort of Cowboys tie, you know, that the reason why the guy was robbing Fletcher Cox's place in particular was because he's um he's a Cowboys fan and like, you know, wanted to stick it to a defensive lineman that plays for the Eagles. See, I thought it had something to do with like an ex-girlfriend and Something along those lines. And Fletcher Cox having a shotgun at the ready. <laughs> That's badass, though, man. It really is. Fletch I mean, took care of business. Fletch defended the house. Yeah. And I, who's the one hack at WIP? I know I'm not being specific enough. Can you but, a list? Yeah, he's a, no, he's a relatively new hack. Oh, okay. um, but the way he framed it, it's like, it doesn't seem like uh, Cox will face any legal issues. Why should he? He did everything right. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tell you what. The Eagles performed the goddamn home invasion today on the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> Went in there and took care of business. And everybody, everybody had them written off today. If you listen to uh, Sports Talk Radio, I mean, Ray Didinger had them buried all week long. They said they were going to lose. He said, take the under. He said the Eagles were in disarray. It's a mess. But no, galvanized. Go into New York State and handle the 5-1 Buffalo Bills. On paper, it really did seem like everything was lining up for the Eagles to to not win this game. This is a a very good defense uh, with an offense that, uh, closes games well. We, as I don't know if you guys caught how many times they said this during the broadcast, but uh, at least I think I counted five times where they noted that the Bills quarterback has the best quarterback rating in the fourth quarter of anybody in the league, which they immediately couched the statement by saying, most people don't pay any attention to quarterback rating anymore. But then they kept hammering home <laughs> the fact that he had the best quarterback rating in the fourth quarter. Uh, but, you know, on paper, it seemed like the Eagles were 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 in trouble. The thing I I feel like that the Eagles really had going for them were there were two main factors. One, the Eagles stopped the run really well, and Frank Gore is not the kind of runner that is going to give them trouble. Um, so they were going to be able to make the Bills one dimensional. The other thing is they were starting Ronald Darby and um, who did they have on the other side today? Um, Mills, Jalen Mills. So. I, I honestly think without having to make a, a trade, just getting those two guys back and seeming to me they were at uh, as as close to 100% as they've been all year. Yeah, like for their second week. Like last yeah. week it was kind of so – Yeah, especially for Mills, it's like really coming out of the coming out of cold storage right. and getting on the field. But now he's had that week to get acclimated and then a full week of practice. It seemed like they were better equipped to handle 
the the pass and and they're just they're just very good at stopping the run so i think that this lined up good for good for them defensively and um you know they got a couple of breaks which they really needed to have happen in this game now gene did you feel this way before the game like or was this like watching the game you were putting the pieces together no before the game started like i, I was listening all week and and people were so down on it and to a certain degree i was like it just does didn't feel that dire to me it felt like a lot of the negativity was coming from the fact that orlando scandrick had talked smack um but i i just don't think that orlando scandrick had any read as to what was going on in the locker room uh and my take on that is he was in the the absolutely probably the meeting rooms that were getting hammered the most and most unhappy in that building he was in the secondary meetings so if there is a a place that's probably in disarray and unhappy at the Novacast center it's got to be the meeting rooms with the cornerbacks and the safeties so that made sense to me that he was probably feeling a lot of negativity because he's probably going in there with coaches that are going like you guys suck you need to play better <laughs> And so, yeah, so he probably felt that. This is also, and I, I, I don't want this to be uh, misconstrued as some sort of, like, tinfoil hat-wearing conspiracy theory, but he is a, like, nine-year former cowboy. You, you're, <laughs> you tell me that, like, he didn't come in here with, like, he probably has a star tattooed on his body somewhere. Do I, have I seen it? No, but I bet you it's there. The guy has said in interviews he is a cowboy, did not want to leave Dallas. I'm telling you, just like the guys in Abington or in Montgomery County that suddenly get the third grade and decide they're going to put on cowboy starter jackets, it's the same deal. When you're a cowboy, you're a cowboy. Like, and and those those people, they just don't work with us. They they just it just never works out. I can't think of any good former cowboys that have come to the Eagles. And 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 been embraced by by the fans. I can't think of any. I I must say I really enjoy the two cowboy conspiracy theories. Um, I know we talked about two things, and Gene's already invoking. <laughs> now I'm not saying the cowboys are behind this, but <laughs> hear me out. <laughs> um, going into this week, I I wasn't as dire as you guys set it up to be like saying that hey you know the whole world says the eagles are losing this but i didn't feel good you know i felt like buffalo was a good team and we haven't been playing that great so i mean i certainly had my doubts uh it took to the second half really to feel comfortable in this game well i think that's the thing like a lot of a lot of people that i talked to were you know and i'm counting myself included on that felt positive about the game this week. Like I was kind of like, I feel like the Eagles are going to win this game, which, okay, great. That's a good way to start. And then, okay, well, do I want to put money on it? All right. Well, let me think about it. All right. Why do I think the Eagles are going to win this game? Like, let me write down my reasons why I think the Eagles are going to win this game. Um, And sometimes it's the only reason is because they have to. And that's why it makes the NFL so strange in that way where it's like, okay, well, the secondary's jacked up. Like, it seems like the locker room's in disarray. Like, Wentz hasn't been playing well. Doug's been, like, hitting all the wrong notes. Howie's not bringing in the players that they need, and the players don't like the front office, or at least that's kind of how it seems like it's playing out in the media. I'm not really sure why I think the Eagles will win this game other than they need to. And I guess that's enough sometimes. Yeah, and and the Bills are the Bills. You know, that's why I kept having to remind myself. I'm like, 
they're five and one. They're a good team. But then like watching today, I'm like, eh, they're still the Bills. You know, it still felt like, yeah, we won, but it's only the Bills, you know, <laughs> even though they are legitimately good. Gene, is this another signature win here? Are we do another win against a future playoff team? Well, it's interesting because I was thinking about like who have the Bills played and and you know, the only loss they've taken is to the Patriots, which is you know, it's that's impressive, you know. It it just strikes me as the the Bills have been such a a doormat. They've been kicked for so long. Uh, eventually they were going to start to figure some things out. And they are good defensively. I think that they honestly have some problems on offense. Um, but uh, a signature win? I don't know. I, I I still think that Green Bay is the is, is the win this year. Green Bay, I feel like, looks like a much better team. But like you were saying, like this was a, this was a, a game that they had to win. And in, what I think is more uh, more telling is I feel like what, I saw in a couple of just, if you read between the lines, kind of, con, you know, out of context things or in context things, uh, I saw some of the the well-known team leaders do some things that, um, you know, I feel like actual leaders do. Malcolm just Jenkins. Real quick, real quick. The Bills have played both New York teams, the Bengals, uh, the Titans, and the Dolphins. Okay. Outside so, of the Patriots and us. Yeah. Well, so that's, those are not all. Not a murderer's row. Not a murderer's row. And, um. You know, and they played the Jets without. I think they played the Jets without Sam Darnold. So that's even. Well, no, they played the Jets week one. Oh, okay. So they did have him. All right. Yeah. Well, that's a little, a little bit better. I have no idea what to think about the Jets because honestly, they have some good wins and they. That game was seventeen sixteen. So yeah, it's it weird. it's a this is a weird league, man. Um. So, but the two things I saw was Malcolm Jenkins his his like right head on response to what was happening with Orlando Scandrick. Um, and he did not pull any punches with his response. Like, we don't need any of those motherfuckers in this locker room. Like, he didn't pull any punches on the field either, getting those no, two uh, personal no. foul penalties leading to a, a Bills touchdown. Well, yeah. And honestly, like, he owned up to the fact that he has not played, like, at his Pro Bowl ever the last couple of weeks either. But uh, he, you're not going to sell me that Malcolm Jenkins is not a much more valuable and important player in that in the locker room and to his teammates than a guy that's been here for three weeks. Like, you're just not going to convince me of that. But maybe more importantly, and I don't know if you guys saw this, it, it kind of made its rounds around Twitter. It was in the pregame. They showed a clip of Wentz in the, like, in the pregame, um, you know, huddle or whatever they do, and, and, and he looked right at Nelson Aguilar, like, stared him dead in the face and said, if you can make a play, and I think he was talking to everyone, but he was looking right at Aguilar. He said, if you can make a play today, you have to make it. And, like, did not, like, take his, like, dead stare. And to me, that's, that's the quarterback being like, do not screw us up again, bud. Like, you have got to earn your $9 million today. Aguilar, I'm looking like you, catch those footballs as if they were babies. You know, they're babies being thrown from a burning building, and now it's your turn to catch those babies. I mean, and apparently Doug's strategy was we won't throw it to him. We'll just hand it to him, and maybe it'll go better, but... With a mixed bag of results. With a mixed bag of results, indeed. I mean, it's an interesting way to get him sort of into the game, you know, get a ball in his hands. Right, Remind because, him what it feels like. Because once he kind of gets into the second level of a defense or, you know, he is a quick kind of shifty runner. It's just getting him into positions where he can kind of use that asset. 
has he been particularly bad this year? You know, I always, always kind of liked Aguilar as like, you know, a third option as, hey, everybody else is covered. Hey, look, you know, go to Aguilar for, you know, 11-yard reception or something. Has it just been we were so depleted, you know, with our offensive weapons that we were counting on him too much and he came up real small? Like, or or is he always this inadequate? I mean, in the Super Bowl year, he seemed like a, an entirely different player. He had, if you remember, Chuck, back when he was, I guess, when he was drafted, his rookie year, there were a lot of talk about how he was having, they were going to bring in a sports psychologist, how he he had confidence issues and was causing him to drop balls, how he, he couldn't, you know, that he had mental issues, uh, you know, with his with his sports psychology and they were going to try and get him straight that it was, it was an issue of that. He kind of like, and you can, even when you, when you hear him talk how quickly he'll kind of like own up to mistakes, which is so counter to what you normally see with wide receivers that they're, they're almost to the point of arrogance. And I, no, no he didn't own up to that nonsense this week. Though. No, he didn't. He didn't. You're right. But he has in the past and maybe there, there's a shift in his own. Maybe this is becoming defensive, but uh, you know, a lot of wide receivers, they they kind of are, are that flashy, arrogant type, and he doesn't usually he doesn't really fit that mold. He fits more the Todd Pinkston mold, or the you know the kind of like you know ho hum, you know maybe I'll make a catch kind of thing. Um, but I feel like we were never going to. I don't think that the plan was in preseason that we were going to land, you know, lean on on Nelly. The the, the idea was we were going to have. Deshaun Jackson running, you know, streaks and the whole middle of the field for for our two tight ends was going to be wide open. That was the plan. Um, but, you know, in warmups in week two, Deshaun Jackson goes down and, and we haven't seen hide nor hair of him since. So, you know, I honestly don't even know if that plan would have worked because I only saw it against the, the Washington Redskins who can't cover or defend anybody. So I honestly don't know if the Eagles plan for their offense this year even works. Well, the Eagle, all the Eagles, I think, um, did what they said they were going to do. They they all looked in the mirror this week, uh, and they came out with a plan to run the football against the Buffalo Bills. By the way, um, the, the, uh, we're going to take a look in the mirror. Is this generation's? I got to do a better job. <laughs> I mean, without a doubt, everyone everyone said it this week. I got to look in the mirror. Yeah, it, it's almost like it's like they were handed the. Uh... The script, like this is the talking point. Yeah, the maybe they need more mirrors at the link. There's not enough. They're not looking at themselves in the mirror enough. Well, maybe it goes back to sports psychologists. Like they all have body issues. You know, I have to look in the mirror. Like really look at yourself, you know. Uh... <laughs> Should we get Stuart Smalley to come in and do like the pep talk before the Bears game? Maybe we wouldn't have had that uh, body issue uh, the trailer park spread <laughs> with the offensive <laughs> lineman if that, yeah. if, you know, if we had more mirrors. Yes. <laughs> I'm looking at the man in the mirror. Okay. I was totally thinking that as well. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, yeah, ran the football, man. What do we have? 218 rushing yards. We had two running backs that I think I had a feeling that there was a chance we would have seen two running backs go over 100 yards apiece had uh, they not both had to go out for long stretches of the second long stretch of the second half with 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 injuries. Uh, the whole Boston Scott section of the game would have been divided up between between those two. I forget where I heard it this morning talking about the the wind in Buffalo, and it was certainly present. 
and just saying, you know, they're going to have to count on the running game. They're going to have to count on the running game. I'm like, well, that makes sense. And then big pause. Oh, my God, I hope they finally do it. And they did. So, but I was concerned. I was concerned that Andy Reid would show up and and say, you know, it's just as good as a running game. Uh, Six-yard pass, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Again, in the post game, they were talking about. Uh, I don't know if this was something that Doug said or or, or um, one of the running backs, but that that two back set that they scored that Miles Sanders scored on that got put in this week. Um, and it seems amazing to me that you've gotten this far into the season, and you're just now being like, oh, what if we put both running backs on the field? Like that seems to me like something you would have discussed. Like I don't know, July, August. When did they draft Miles Sanders? Uh, April. Teams don't really love to do that anymore, though. You know. I, I know they don't, but if you have the guys that you do with this skill set, like just the i, you know, the idea of having both those guys on the field, clearly Howard can act as a lead blocker. We saw him do it today. So you know, having that look, you know, at, you know, something that you've practiced or or that you could throw in would have been helpful in a, a game when you've lost both your wide receivers on the outside. Yeah. I mean, Miles Sanders really looks like that type of running back that runs a great screen. And, yeah, yeah. you know, we definitely don't see that enough. The no. bubble screen. Yeah. he. Well, we, we like to throw that to wide receivers for, for some reason, but no, he looks like he does run a great screen and he looks like he's another one that once he gets into like that linebacker, level you know six yards upfield like he really does kind of find a second gear as he's kind of yeah, running he down looks like, he looks sort of west brookian yes. uh, when he catches those screen passes yeah yeah that that's a really good yeah and i mean we're, we're used to kind of seeing sproles do that who has a completely different look to it it's more of a all of a sudden sproles just kind of appears from behind a a large guy you know what i mean he's just you just he's one place one minute and he's someplace else the next like miles sanders looks like more of a traditional what they would call like a like a third down back like a like a you know and howard is a between the tackles bruiser uh a scat back yeah nah, not so much. i don't know if he's so much a scat he's like the ultimate scat back dave meggett Westbrook Barry was a, Sanders. Barry, Barry Sanders is a good one too. But but if you think of like the 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 one that's the pass catching type, Westbrook is not a bad choice. Um, I hated Dave Meggett when I was a kid. Marcus Allen was a pretty good kind of like you know like a scat bat type too. But he was a he, he carried a he carried the uh, he carried the rock a lot too. I, I don't. I don't Marcus know. Allen was just the person I was trying to think of. Yeah, but I'm thinking I like put my finger on when it was with, when, he, when it was when it was the well. Raiders. When it was the backfield was him and Bo Jackson. He was definitely more of the scat back kind of mold. Uh, yeah. So Miles Sanders, uh, seventy-four yards rushing in. What? Uh, oh, forty-five yards receiving. So yeah, good, good, uh, good day for him. Now Wentz had a good game, only one hundred and seventy-two yards. So it, you know, less is more with Wentz sometimes. Well, I think that. What you're not seeing in the stats is that he extended a lot of plays, um, avoided some. He took some sacks. I think he took three sacks today, four, three or four. Um, but there were a lot of plays, busted plays that he was able to extend. Um, you know, and I think that he he really did kind of keep some drives, especially late in the game. That, that you know, places where we needed to score, he was able to get get first downs when we needed to. His third down efficiency seemed really good today. Uh, which was something that Buffalo's really good at. They they said right up front that they're the best uh, 
they're the best defense at getting people to to commit three and outs. Um, we were able to get some drives together, get some drives together early, and uh, yeah, no, I think that him not trying to hurl hurl it down, you know, 30, 40 yards and 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 giving up the the ball a lot didn't fumble. Um, so yeah, I th- I think he needed a game like this just to to help boost his confidence. Yeah, I mean Buffalo is really good against the pass, like really good against the pass. Um, so and they're about average against the run. So it's good that we were able to get a lot of traction with the running game because if that wasn't working, I'm not sure what would have happened. Yeah, and just you know, Wentz looked a lot more comfortable today than definitely last week and i'd say the week before as well he looked like he was in charge of the game i don't know maybe that's results oriented maybe i'm looking at what's happening you know on the field and saying oh he looks comfortable but that's the perception i got the perception i got was that he was in control of the game he was managing the offense and it it seemed to show in the score so yeah i think he had a a very good game this week and i think just taking last week kind of in and of itself, he came out and within three offensive plays, we, he was down 14, nothing. You know what I mean? Like that is enough when you already have the pressure of the opponent and the situation already weighing on you to come out. And to a certain degree, it being directly your fault, um, put the team in a hole. He, he felt like it seemed to me last week, he was trying to do way too much. He was trying to win the game on every single play. And you, you can't, you can't keep up that sort of energy. Uh, you're going to end up making more mistakes. Uh, I think he came in much more even uh, with his temperament this in this game and focused. And I think that's what really kept drives alive and, um, Kept a good pace to the to the offense. Yeah, I mean, it was a good start. I mean, maybe not a great start, but, I mean, we got to kick off on the road, which I, I didn't see. I don't know if we won the coin toss and deferred or. Yeah, I don't um, know either. I, I got I joined the game just at the or beginning Or how that shook drive. out. But yeah. we, we I, think, I think we got a three and out. It was a relatively short drive. We got the ball yeah. kicked the field goal, so at least we started out, you know, in a on a positive note. And I think we got a um, – I think on the next on the next drive was the the um, the fumble, the strip sack. Yeah, uh, that Buffalo was able to recover. So I mean, we started out really hot, um, and I think that, I think that's that was a, you know a, a good step in the right direction as far as our problem with cold starts. Right. Because yeah. now we're moving into a stretch now where yes, we get to go back home, but it's. Bears, Patriots, Seahawks, and we're not going to be able to survive these cold starts. No, no, you're going to have to maybe against the Bears. You're going to have to jump on teams, certainly the the Patriots and and the Seahawks because the Seahawks right now, Russell Wilson might be the odds-on favorite to be the MVP right now. He's playing like out of his mind, um, and you know the Patriots are going to come in here probably unbeaten, um, and there's going to be a whole lot of hype on that game about the Super Bowl rematch and can Wentz. Uh, you know, live up to the shadow of 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 that game that he didn't play in. It's it's yeah. gonna be at least intense. we get two weeks to prepare for that one. God, do we get a buy? Yeah, and we get a we get the buy leading into that. So that's and and this kind of one leads me to the other thing I wanted to talk about. Does uh, John Jackson will you be back for that one? God, if there's a game that he needs to get himself up for, it's got to be that one. Um, here's my question. Just on to, back to today's game, how would you grade out Doug? What did you think of his game plan? What did you think of some of the, cause there certainly were some riverboat gambling kind of moments in this game. 
Um, most of his gambles seem to pay off. Uh, what do you think of his game plan? What do you think of his his coaching decisions? Do you think that Doug had a good game, bad game? What do you think? I got a new one now, right? You know, we do fourth and Doug. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go a Dougie Deuce. A Dougie Deuce. Because <laughs> he's always gone for these two-point conversions at sort of strange times. Uh, you know, outside of the fourth quarter when it's not to tie up the game, I don't know. It's just strange to be like, well, we'll go up three if we kick the point after, but we'll go up four if we get a two-point conversion. So we'll just go for the two-point conversion so a field goal doesn't tie it. I just think the danger of you losing that two-point conversion is a field goal will take the lead on you. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that the weather played any factor into um, into that particular decision? Do you think that he felt he was more confident in – his offense being able to get the tut, you know, get the get the two point conversion rather than you know because extra points are less gimmies now, um, you know they are a harder kick, especially if you're kicking into the wind. Do you think that that played any factor to it, or do you think it was simply, I'm you know this is Doug's mo. I'm going to play aggressive. I'm going to be even more aggressive on the road. Up until now, I did not think about that even though I already mentioned the wind, but yeah, I bet you that's a big factor, Gene. And well, and like the next two or three kicks that came in, in sequence were, was a miss and a block, I think. I, yeah. I don't know. Was it that, was it that, were they on that end of the field? That or I don't, was there no good end of the it field? It didn't seem like there was any good end of the field. It seemed like uh, certainly nobody was trying much as in way of deep passes on either side. I mean, the, the, you could see the uprights moving pretty liberally yeah, uh, and, in the wind or in that game. And so. the long field goal that the Bills tried, I think, at the end of the half, you could see that he was lined up and kicked that ball almost straight at the, you know, from your TV, the right um, upright. And that ball came all the way across and missed left. Like it, 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 it all, it was, it was, you know, like a, like a curve, like a video game curve ball. It was crazy. Yeah. It was like a golf shot. I saw that, um, there and it's just like oh it's a slice or cut or whatever the term is but i mean that thing art yeah like you don't see in football almost like he would have had to aim like you know 25 guys down you know down row you know the guy that was sitting in like j10 you know and try to hook it back through just i don't know how as a kicker you can even judge something like that that's that's a tough a tough job to do on a, on a day like this. So that was my thought on that particular two point. I think that there was a certain amount of Doug looking out and being like, I don't want to put this on a kicker. Uh, I think oh, I Doug can get will just here. look for the opportunity, like give him a reason. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, and I think I even said, you know, I don't know that I like this decision uh, at the time, but then obviously when he makes it, you know, suddenly you feel like that. And I feel like sometimes that's what Doug is trying to kind of jolt. Um, that he's trying to get that energy and, 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 you know, Oh, you know, now we're up four, you know, it, it makes you feel kind of, you know, it, it, it makes his players feel like he's trying to, to put them in the best position to win as they can and, and letting them, uh, you know, be aggressive, uh, against the opposition rather than play passive. I think that players like that. I think they like being aggressive. Yeah. Okay. I can, all right. Yeah. I'm down. Uh, all right, so uh, Cowboys had a bye week, so we're a half game out of first. Make what? it up ground, kind of. Yeah. I mean, look. <laughs> it's 
Got to win these games. So uh, did you know, Jerry Bears Jones actually do the schedule this year? I, I don't understand how you get as favorable uh, a situation as the Cowboys have had this year. How they are not undefeated is beyond me. Like they, they, they you know, they have had it lined up for them so nicely. I don't know. Wah. <laughs> uh, what, what, what are we gonna do uh, cowboys suck look i don't care what happens in the season they'll lose whatever playoff game they have to play if they make it uh you know it is what it is whatever like we got to beat them like that's the thing if we beat them uh you know they still got to play the patriots this is all going to come out in the wash i feel like if we win our next game against them we have a good chance to win this division yeah, I mean, if we put it together to win this division, then we're the team we thought we were going to be in the offseason. I mean, look at it this way, right? You know? Trubisky looked horrible today. And God bless the Chicago Bears fans to endure <laughs> this kicking situation Yeah, that they have. But another, you know, aut- like what we would consider an automatic for Elliott field goal uh, goes, what, wide left? And they they lose. So I mean, the Bears are a beatable team. Now you got the Patriots, but what the heck happened to the Seahawks today? I mean, they have a twenty four nothing lead on the Falcons, uh, and they give up basically the whole thing in the second half. Yeah, I mean, they, I mean, went, on, they went on to win that game. But the th- the interesting thing about the Seahawks, and this is proven true this season as any, they are a very very different team on the road. Um, they they just have these these lapses uh unfor- i mean i guess fortunately for them unfortunately for us like the the falcons are bad <laughs> you know but yeah no i feel i feel like of of the next couple of games the seahawks at home it's it's not as you know i think a lot of people just as soon as the schedule came out were marking that as a loss i think that that honestly of the next three that might be the most winnable game or a very winnable game. I mean, think the Bears are the most winnable. The Bears is the most winnable other than the fact that I think you're going to get the Bears coming in again, you're catch, going to catch a team off of a loss. Desperate, yeah. Desperate feeling like it's their season on the line. Um I just don't you know, maybe the Bears just aren't good enough. Like, you know, they they just maybe just don't have the talent. Um but any team that's got Mac on defense is going to be able to wreak havoc to some degree. Um uh, and I honestly don't know if the Patriots are legit or not. I just don't know. I don't think they've played anybody yet. Yeah, I mean, the Patriots are the Patriots. And you want to talk about getting amped up for a game. You know, the Eagles can say what they want to say. They have a you know a lot of championship rings in that locker room now. But the Patriots have a lot more. So if you're going to get up for a regular season game, I'm not talking about against a rival. I'm talking about like, hey, we need to show that we're a good team and we're playing the Patriots. You know, end of sentence. You don't need to describe how good the Patriots are. Everyone knows it. So that can be one where for the Patriots, it's just another week. For the Eagles, it's their mini Super Bowl or whatever. Well, and, and I, I hope we're not just another week for the Patriots. No, I would I would think we're not, but I I think more to even to Chuck's point, I think that everybody they play, it's it's we want to we want to put our best foot forward. They get everybody's, uh, you know, like like last year we were saying going into the year, you know, when you're the champs, you you take everybody's best shot, um, and I think that the Patriots have been dealing with that for a decade, so they're used to it. 
but uh, and to a certain degree, they expect it. But, um, you know, I, I just I but would do like Do you think some of those AFC teams is little Patriot fatigue with that, like the Bills, Jets, Dolphins, do do they get up for that event? You know, the same way like an NFC team does that doesn't see them quite as often. God, I mean, in those three franchises that you just named have been to a certain Real degree bad. incompetent for like a decade. You know what I mean? Like the, <laughs> you think back to when was the last team time that any of those three franchises were legitimately a contender was, I guess, those years that Rex Ryan was in New York and the Jets had uh, Mark Sanchez. So, I mean, even saying that, like they had Mark <laughs> Sanchez at quarterback, like that was butt fumble. Like that, that's the last time that one of those three teams was a threat in the AFC. So, I mean, that seems like a lifetime ago. Uh, you know, you guys. Have... Remember when we had Mark Sanchez? Yeah. Yeah, I do. And, and... <laughs> and we had to start him. Wasn't like Foles would get hurt and Sanchez would come in and then there would be like a Foles-Sanchez rift? Yeah, it was something. <laughs> but the thing is, like, wasn't he – Chip Kelly had to go to him like in that – I feel People like – People were like, well, Sanchez has a lot more mobility than Foles. <laughs> They're both statues. <laughs> like, But, yeah, no, I mean, that, that was a – it was a sad time for the quarterback situation. And, you know, after the Wentz – after the Foles trade the first time, after he went to St. Louis – we we had it was like Kevin Cobb, uh, I think. Still, like God, like no. Kevin, Kevin Cobb was before that. I think but we're getting I think, timelines messed up here. Yeah, of a whole bunch of mediocre quarterbacks. There's Donovan. <laughs> there's Wentz. There's Foles one and two somewhere in the middle. There's Vic, and then there's a whole bunch of a whole lot of bad. nonsense. Yeah, but not in that order. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> We got a lot to cover today. Anything left on the Eagles we want to point out? Next week, out? next week is the biggest game of the year, which gonna, we'll be saying for the next. And we're going to say that every week, seven and, weeks until uh, until we clinch or uh, or yeah. it's over. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, we're in the playoffs now. Yeah. Woo-hoo. Yeah. It's playoff time. Uh, all right. Let's move it on to the Sixers, who started their season. Um, in fine fashion against the fucking Boston Celtics. <laughs> I mean, do you, uh, so last time you've been this excited for a Sixers season. 2001. Probably yeah. about that for me too. I mean, where, yeah. where I felt like legitimately like, Oh, we're going to, we're going to kick some heads in like. Oh, one, when they were on that, the, they opened the season, I think 10 and zero in Oh one. Um, I remember around like game six of that run, I was like, oh yeah, where that was back when, you know, I literally would listen to if, if I, I was in, I was in college and I, if I, if I could not uh, watch the game when I would take my breaks, um, I would go out and, um, and listen to the Sixers call in the car. I was going to say last year. I mean, like, I feel like every year now I get more excited than I've ever been for a Sixer season. And this has got to be kind of the top of the mountain here for this. Uh, I, I was in a lather uh, Wednesday night for the Celtics game. I got to say, I got to say, and then, and I got to, you know, to start the game with Al Horford ringing the bell. It was just, I mean, what a troll, what a troll move. 
but like I, I, I honestly don't care because I really want to stick it to the Celtics in any way, any way possible. Do you think that that was Al's idea, or do you think that no, it was he, they, they? He said they asked him um, like Tuesday afternoon to do it, and I'm actually surprised that he did it. Yeah, I am too. You know, because he seems like he's kind of a you know he's a pretty classy guy, and he he hasn't had anything particularly negative to say about Boston, um, but this felt like one of those things that's like you know this is my almost like my baptism as a as a sixer but you just know it's going to put the fans in in like another state like another state of crazy yeah yeah i mean the only other thing you could have done with the bell ringing would have been you know i don't know who is i don't know what sort of dignitaries were there that night um I don't you know, know, I don't know if any players from the other teams that were there. Maybe, or, or, I mean, maybe Joe Girardi, like, I guess, like, if you know, you got to, he's the newest. No, but that wasn't signed. That wasn't, that wasn't locked even, up. That wasn't even locked think. up yet. Yeah. So yeah, I think he, he was Thursday. I can't even think of, of, of what else would have had that kind of impact. I, I was kind of speculating who it might be. I kind of thought it might be, you know, right for like an AI Dr. J kind of a, you know, like a, like a classic. Yeah. Sixer yeah I mean, they've done it so many times yeah. though. I'm not sure. But uh, that's a well you can always go to, I guess. Or even maybe I thought maybe Tobias, since he had you know was returning and was the one that signed the big contract to stay. Um, you sure. Know, but I think that the absolute best decision was to have it be Al Horford. Yeah, and then the game starts, and it, it's everything I wanted it to be. It's like it's ugly, it's physical, it's defensive. It's kind of boring. Um, it's one of those. <laughs> it's it's one of those type styles of play that, like, I, I would almost think like, oh, so this is what like a New Jersey Devils fan felt like in the nineties. Like this is this has got to be so irritating for the opposition's fan base to watch. The basketball trap. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, they're so big and so long, and. So they put like the, just the team mentality around the defense is, you know, it's refreshing. It's sort of unique in the NBA. And I, I, I got just like projecting way out. There's no way any team wants any part of this in a seven game series. No. And, There's and just no way. especially when you have these prima donnas in the league that feel like, they can move and get to whatever spot they want, um, and it's just easy for them. It's not going to be easy against the Sixers. So think back to early process years. Do you think that in Hinky in his in his uh, you know grand design when he was laying out the blueprints on his big desk? Do you think he, he was seeing you know an all seven foot lineup uh, when he was looking you know long range? Do you think that this was the ultimate goal? Do you think that we eventually got to what Hinky saw as the promised land? Or do you think that that was that was the whole thing? Is that the the process was just that it was going through the process and seeing what you ended up with, and then kind of leaning in when you got there. I would venture to guess the latter, only because like how would you know? Like you don't know who comes available. Um, the whole thing, like I mean, the whole thing started around this Embiid draft, uh, where you got to got to uh, select a dominant, dominant player, but not have him positively affect your team for two years. Uh, It's such a unique situation. 
um, that you sort you you half strategy, half luck into it, uh, and then you just and then you happen to get the number one pick when this freak Ben Simmons comes out and comes into the league, and you just have this thing that like nobody else has. Yeah, and and that nobody knows what would you know to a certain degree nobody knows what to do with, um, including Ben Simmons sometimes. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, including the guy himself. Um, the thing that I you were kind of comparing Wednesday night's game or you know the, the way the Sixers play to to a to a you know to like the the Devil's Trap. I was kind of thinking it like a uh, like a heavyweight fight uh, where. They kind of say, you know, you go to the body for the first eight rounds because then the guy can't pick his head up at the end of the fight, um, you know, and you can you can knock him out. And that, to me, felt like the, what the Sixers were doing. You know, it was never got away from them in the first half, but to a certain degree, you kind of felt like the, the Celtics were expending so much energy, every offensive possession, that eventually, when you got into the third quarter— they just were not going to be able to get their arms up, you know, to put shots up the way, you know. And you kind of saw that as the game went on. They just couldn't keep up the pace trying to get around these these huge guys. And when you have this guy like Matisse Thibel, who is – talk about a great pick to fall in your lap. Uh, and and how angry it makes Celtics fans that they, they – they don't have him because they they because of the way the trades everything all worked out uh, for the draft this year. Uh, that guy he he does things that I haven't seen defensively uh, certainly from a rookie maybe ever. Uh, and it was interesting to kind of see how he was getting. He got himself kind of in foul trouble early. He's going to adjust to that. He just has a nose for the ball. Uh, he's like if Robert Covington was even an even better defender. He he gets in the lanes. He's always he can block from behind better than anybody I've seen in a long time. He he. Even if he doesn't score, he's he's all over the court. And we shot so poorly in that game. I mean, so poor. It, it, it really can't get much worse than that. And, and you know, Thibault had that great sort of Hail Mary, first first NBA points, three-pointer, uh, which was pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's not, he, he's not really here for offense. Uh, just I just love the attention to defense, which you never hear in the NBA. It's so great, and this guy can pick your pocket like no other. Yeah, and it's going to be so great, like in a, in a, in, a, in a long series that you just send him out on Jimmy Butler and just say, "All right, just harass him." Just I mean, Kemba Kemba Walker torched us for like what forty five or whatever last year. I think he he had fifty when. Uh, Butler was guarding him. Yeah. I mean, that we still miraculously yeah. won that game, but th- this was not a matter of, uh, you know, Kemba just couldn't find a shot. No, Kemba looked so frustrated by about the middle of the second quarter. I- I've never seen a guy with that kind of that just hands on his hip, kind of just like what what do I have to do to get to get a, to get my points here? And these small guards are the ones that historically have given us fit like, fits. Like you know, Ky- it'll be interesting to see when we play Brooklyn and, and you oh know, yeah. Get- Get Kyrie. It'll be right. it'll be really interesting when we play the Clippers, right? Um, you know, and, and see what happens with Kawhi. But I, I honestly, when you th- you look at some of these like babies in the league, like LeBron and stuff, it, I can't wait to play them to see what he like how he handles this team. Now we go to game two. Already, we're in this like Embiid situation where you know he busted the lip open uh, against the Celtics on a really shitty 
shitty sort of play. He had stitches. And then what he also has like a sprained ankle. Yeah, he says he's got a sprained yeah. ankle. Like a light sprain, which I'm sure is probably in we're in like like if this was a playoff game, he would have played kind of a situation. Right. Yeah, because they fit he well, I mean, he didn't finish the Celtics game, but he also was in foul trouble, so there was a certain amount of we're gonna put him on the bench and not have him foul out. But like what game what Sixers game have you watched in the last three years where it's like, oh yeah, we'll just have we'll just have him beat sit on the bench the last uh six or seven minutes and you know, we'll just be totally fine. Well what Sixers game in the we'll last We'll just stretch the lead actually. Three years have I watched where you were gonna roll out Kyle O'Quinn and and Al Horford as your fives. You know what I mean? Like we we have depth. We have depth at the center position, which is just unheard of in the NBA anymore. Kyle O'Quinn. Who says Irish guys can't play basketball? Seriously, that guy is <laughs> a, is is just a leper. Leprechauniest of leprechauns. He's the map of Ireland on his face. He really is. <laughs> uh, so we go to play the Pistons without Embiid, um, and boy, you know, Derek Rose looks healthy. Yeah, he's pretty dangerous when he's really uh, when dangerous. He's not he, injured. He looks fast again. He really does. Yeah. So the Pistons are kind of a, they're kind of a pesky team. And uh, they, they I'm, unfortunately, their best player has got a cannot play against the Sixers. It's it's a complete mental block. Um, well, Embiid wasn't playing, but he, I don't think he can. I don't think Andre Drummond can play against. The, it's like he sees our logo and it, and and something just misfires. It's it's like he loses the ability to play basketball. Maybe it's because I don't really watch a lot of Pistons games that aren't against the Sixers. But I just have this opinion of him where he's not that good. He he is a much better offensive player than he shows against us. I've yeah. seen him dominate some some other teams. You yeah, know, so we're down thirteen in the third quarter, and it's just like no problem. Uh, yeah, that was a glorious run. Like yeah. I, it, it must have been intermission at the Flyers game or something. It was like between the second and third periods of the Flyers. It game. was our first Sixers yeah. Flyers head to head matchup. Oh man, you had, you God, had to pick was... your side for most of the and night. the World Series on at the same time. Like my ADD was just on overdrive. <laughs> <laughs> It's the sports equinox gene. <laughs> but I I got to watch that entire comeback, that entire, you know, making up that 13-point deficit. And it really felt like college basketball to me. You know, a hell of a lot of defense, a lot of, like, fundamentals, and just, like, grinding it out. And it was awesome. Like, I loved it. Now I turned back to the Flyers once I could because, you know, that's where my allegiance lies. But... It was a great thing to watch, but and and it's great that you brought the, uh, that up particularly, but because w- what you saw was the thing that you were kind of worried about going into the season was Tobias Harris going to be able to give you something? Was he going to be able to be a player that could take over a game when you needed him to? Because Ben got himself into foul trouble in that game uh, in the Pistons game pretty early. He had three fouls. And and you just couldn't keep him on the court. Richardson was in trouble early too. Right. So we were having trouble scoring, and Tobias is. I haven't seen him pl- look like that in a Sixers uniform. The guy was just, he was just a, a beast. He was hitting from all over the court, and he just had like this this confidence. You know, he just you just knew that just get him the ball, he was going to be able to get you points. Uh, you know, and he had a, he had a great quarter, best quarter he's had as a Sixer. 
Mike Scott had a great game too. I think he was four for five or maybe five from six. And, and probably the soundbite of the year, you know, of the first two games was in the post game <laughs> show. He gets interviewed and they're talking about it. And he goes, you know, I love Tobias. He reads books um, with Toby standing <laughs> right next to him. And then, uh, you know, Right after the game, probably as soon as they got into the locker room, uh, Tobias, uh, you know, tweeted out like I read or something and, and Mike le- uh, liked it. It was it was hilarious. This team genuinely seems like not only are they friends, but they are having they are completely committed to the idea of what we're doing. They love being this 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 kind of like dog defensive we are going to make you work for everything you get team. And it, I think that they really believe that this is the only way that they can really make a name for themselves is to be kind of this different from the rest of the NBA because the Western conference, you know, the, you don't think of like the, the, this, the, the golden state warriors were not built this way. The the Lakers are not built this way. The Rockets are not built this way. This is a kind of like an old school Detroit Pistons in, in, in the 90s kind of way uh, or, or like that mid-90s New York Knicks team um, to like just we're going to beat you up, basically. Yeah, defense, and then you're going to have to send us to the line a lot. And we need to make free throws. I mean, if we make free throws, we're going to win every game. Anyway, uh, I love the Sixers. I love this team. I think Brett, I think they really like Brett. Yeah, I'm glad that we've kind of stuck with him through this whole this whole thing. I think there were definitely moments through this where we're like, is he the guy that's going to get us over the hump? Is he going to be able to win playoff series? And, you know, I think that people buy in. I think the players have bought into what he's selling. Well, the East is theirs to lose, in my opinion. I, I don't know. And I watched that. Um, I watched the Milwaukee game yesterday, day before. The Heat they, game? Yeah, the one they lost in overtime. I'm telling yeah. you, they they will be able to handle that team. Uh, Milwaukee. I can't is, wait. I can't. Milwaukee I, I mean, not... I, like every matchup just like is so intriguing. So we got the we have Atlanta, um, uh, Monday night. Who's given always given us problems? We could, we could say tonight we're playing Atlanta. Yeah. Um, and that that's a team that gave us fits last yeah. year. Last two years, really. Yeah. 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 Got, so we'll see. They've, but we're just so different now. You don't know what's going to happen because what used yeah. to give us trouble. Hopefully, we figured out a way to counter it. Yeah. So Sixers. They're great. Uh, Flyers had a lot of games this week, Chuck. They did. Uh, four games uh, this week, and Brian Elliott played in all of them, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> to enough. some extent. Yeah. But uh, went 3-1-0 and and looked great for three of those games. Uh, tonight's game uh, against the Islanders, not so much. Um, the Game against uh, the Golden Knights, man, that was phenomenal. Yeah, that was so much fun. And yeah, they had their third string goalie in, but that it wasn't about that. The Flyers dominate play, you know, puck possession, driving play, getting off shots. The Flyers do a wonderful job with that. And Chuck, Even isn't in- it isn't it pretty true that? As the Phillies are to rookie pitchers, the Flyers are to uh, new or like depth chart <laughs> goaltenders. Like we make them look like Patrick Waugh or Marty Brodeur. Yeah, at least the last few years, it's like getting his first start in the NHL. You know, the some guy the Blackhawks just plucked off of a of a travel team. Although Robin Lehner with the Blackhawks, you know, is. You know, a a one B, not a true black, uh, a true backup. But 
yeah, no, we've we've come up small against backups, but a great game against uh, the Golden Knights, good game against the Blackhawks, great comeback against Columbus, and uh, kind of a dud against the Islanders. But it's been a good week. It's been a good week. So I've been, I've been reading a lot about uh, advanced hockey metrics or advanced statistics. I uh, can't say that I understand them all, um, but I've also I've learned two things. Um, one, it's all about shots to a certain degree, uh, and 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 hockey statisticians love to name shit after themselves. I thought Corsi <laughs> stood for something. No, it's just some guy's name. Yeah, Corsi. Uh, Fenwick has largely been dropped, but Corsi and Fenwick, yeah, they're named after the people who came up with them. Um, my favorite thing about advanced stats in hockey is the dismissive term of fancy stats. <laughs> like they're called across the board, like the fancy stats. But the Flyers are a fancy stat darling this year. And I think that what was important, or at least the takeaway I got from that was it was a way to kind of communicate mathematically because unlike baseball to a certain degree where you're trying to take those stats and use them to uh, in a way to your advantage you know in the next inning or in the next game or in the next series it seems to me advanced hockey statistics are more to me the fan to tell me that what i'm watching to some degree is what i'm seeing uh, a way for me to mm -hmm. talk uh, you know, about like, it seems to me that the Flyers are dominating play. They're not getting the results. Uh, is there a way statistically that I can prove that? And in fact, there is. Yep. Uh, it comes down to their Corsi numbers. Corsi comes down to shot attempts. And once upon a time, people really liked plus minus. Then they're like, no, 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 you know, goals, that's a, a pretty small metric. Right now, it comes down to shot attempts. How many shot attempts your team takes versus how many they give up. And the Flyers are dominating in shot attempts. And that really tells you they have the puck, they have control, they're dictating the pace of the game. And you can see it. You can, it's, I find uh, advanced stats, stats in hockey tell me what I saw they inform or they confirm what I saw. And the Flyers have been really good, like elite level good in the fancy stats this year. So in basketball, we have a thing called good shot for great shot. Um, are we just taking a lot of shots where we could be looking for greater shots? That comes down to another fancy stat, comes down to expected goals. And that takes in the quality of the shot. And this year, uh, the the quality of shots the Flyers are taking are better. Um, under Dave Haxtell, we took really low percentage shots. A lot uh, of like all... stuff dropped back to the point and stuff and just fired at the net. Exactly. Yeah. Listening to the crowd when everyone goes, shoot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. All coming from the point. All the goalie can see it from a mile away. So that doesn't really help any. And. You know, usually there's big shots in the point lead to big rebounds. A defenseman gathers it up and gets it out of the zone. Right now, it's just the the plethora of shots that we're getting off. Really, we're seeing a lot of high danger shots. Uh, JVR, who's finally putting some in the net, he's taking 
any shot that comes his way, he's putting it on net. It seems to me watching great. watching the Flyers in the offensive zone, it, it doesn't seem like you, you see them in the traditional sense, like set up and, and, you know, tick, tick, tick around. Like, it seems like they are trying as, as quickly as possible to get themselves into position and get the, the puck into the slot and just try and have something nasty happen. You know, where I see it most is in the turnaround. So I see more pucks being bat down by defend uh, de- flyers, defensemen at the, at the blue line knocking it down to themselves and then immediately firing it back in the zone. Somebody picking off a, you know, um, opposing teams, defenders pass out of the zone, picking it off, turning right back around and firing it off. So when in doubt, get off the shot. And then when they get set up for that premier shot, they take it. They do, you know, run the cycle, go through, find the open shot but when in doubt it's take a shot as opposed to when in doubt pass yeah and, and it's, that's a big difference and it's not a matter of like that they're in the slot looking for deflections it seems like they're trying to get it into like into their centerman or one of the wings is coming across into the slot and trying to get uh you know a shot from there unless like they're firing it and then trying to de- to deflect which i think is kind of a, a haphazard uh, you know that was what Wayne Simmons was kind of good at was kind of like setting himself up camping out and then trying to deflect things in um it was kind of one of his you know one of the things that he kind of made his money on but uh it's nice to kind of see it's also it seems like this Flyers team has got a couple of lines and I know they did another reconfiguration I guess today but it seems like that they found a couple of line combinations that have really good chemistry uh at least the last two weeks maybe well, since the start of the season, the Lindblom, uh, Couturier, uh, Konechny line has been lethal. And they bumped Giroux off that line and brought up Couturier. Not Couturier, I'm sorry, um, Lindblom. And those three together have clicked right away. You have two play drivers in uh, Lindblom and Couturier. You have Konechny, who's been on freaking fire, man. Konechny, you know, got his contract and said, yep, I'm worth every penny and has gone out to show it. It's beautiful. And lately, the uh, Giroux, uh, Voracek, and JVR line has really been clicking as well. And I find it funny them talking about, you know, oh, this is the Flyers' number one line. I think your argument, the argument can be made that the Couturier line's the number one line. The number two line is the Giroux, Voracek, JVR line. Right, because I'd say Couturier is the number one because that's, I think he's your number one center, which I always thought that was kind of his now. Yeah. I would say that that's kind of your marker for who's going to be your your top line. You know, which, I, I, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of positivity here. Why are we in the bottom of the conference? Uh, look at the number of games played. Um, the Flyers still have um, like almost on the three lower fewer. End of games yeah, played. almost three fewer than the teams that are at the top half. I thought. Yeah. I, 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 okay. No, we'll we'll bring. I see most teams have played ten or eleven. Yeah, and I the, get there's teams that have played thirteen, but all right, all right. I, was... I, I mean, let, let's look at the division standings right now. So, in they're in sixth place. They have 11 points. They are, um, 
well, after tonight's loss, it's it's a little further behind. But they have two games in hand on Pittsburgh, and you know if they win those two games, they're ahead of Pittsburgh. They have one game in hand on Columbus. If they win that one game in hand, they're ahead of Columbus. I mean, I know it's early to be looking at standings, but I'm just well, no, no, but it's true. It's there's only been two really bad games from the Flyers this year. One was the Calgary game. They just looked bad. And the other one was, unfortunately, tonight against the Islanders where Hart looked really bad. And we had we had some poor choices made by defensemen. It, it wasn't a good game. But the three bad goals to start us off, we never recovered from. So, And I, I, and I don't know that if, if Hart isn't the best goaltender on the team this season, we're going to have a lot of success. Uh, that's a good point. If he doesn't become, if he doesn't return to form, it's going to be a long year. I suspect that he will. I mean, he's 21. There's going to be ups and downs. Elliot is here for exactly this reason. He is a stable uh, goaltender. He he has a lot of reps under his belt. He is here to steady the ship, which he has certainly done. Um, so. Would it, would it have been a better move to play hard against the Blackhawks to try to, I don't know, get him back into a rhythm? I don't know. It, it's a good question. Um, I think the the goal right now is just to get points. You know, we yeah. are in a win-now mode, so pick the goaltender who's going to help you win the game. Do you think that... I, goalies, I don't... They're a different breed, man. Like, there's just a... Uh, you know, you have some like Martin Brodeur who, you know, I couldn't tell you who was the devil's backup for like a decade because, you know, nobody ever saw him, uh, you know, or Patrick Watt. You know, there are just some goalies that are just literally bedrocks of a franchise. But, you know, then, you you you, you know, you have the flyer situation where for God's we cannot under any circumstance seem to to just have a goalie like. Is there something with uh, the idea of the, just the position in general that, you know, more than any other in hockey, it, it's it's as much a physical thing as it is a, a mental thing. Oh, it's 100% mental. Uh, well, I mean, no, you're right. It's, it's, it's a mix between physical and mental. But what's going on with Carter Hart is 100% mental. He had that bad game in Edmonton, his homecoming. You know, 60 family members in the stands or whatnot. And Connor McDavid and uh, Dreisaitl made him look like a fool. Like, they, they tore him apart. And he hasn't been the same since. He needs to get a win. Even an ugly win. He just needs some sort of win to get him back on the right track. Because I, I know they say that, the, you know, they don't like to play goalies back-to-back games and it's it's an interesting thing to me and this is probably going to sound very naive but they're not putting on the kind of mileage and doing the kind of skating that you would with a forward and it seems like you need to give a goalie the next day off is that literally that the mental rep the mental toll is so much that they're just you're exhausted from trying to mentally get through a game that way or is it uh you know you take a beating from getting pucks batted off you um and that's why you need the night off. Uh, yes, yes. And then there's a third factor as well. The The movement in net is kind of strenuous. 
You know, if you're a defenseman, you have a lot of backward skating, a lot of east-west skating, um, and, you know, north skating as well. But it's not the, you know, prone for a position of time and then flailing to one side or another. It's not the, you know, uh, Dominic Hasek with the go-go gadget arms and the, you know, doing the splits. So the the goaltender position is a lot of inactivity followed by brief moments of a lot of activity. So that that's taxing. The mental thing can't be denied. They prep themselves. You can watch Carter Hart in warmups pretending to make saves. Like he is picturing himself doing it. So you can do back-to-back games. There is no reason at this point in the season to do so. And it's a great excuse to go, all right, Elliot won the net, but Carter, you get one back because we need to, to give him a break, you know? So, yeah, you can do back-to-back. It's not recommended. So, uh, Penguins game Tuesday night. Yes. That'd be a good time for him to... Uh... No. <laughs> you, you have to go Elliot at this point. You have to go Elliot at this point. Like, that is throwing the kid in the pool and going to swim, you know? And this isn't coddling the kid. You know, I think you and I have talked about this a few times. Like, oh, no, he's he's a precious little baby. Don't coddle him, you know? Whereas your opinion is, you know, he's a pro athlete. Let him play. It's a really big gamble, you know, and if Sidney Crosby comes in and smells weakness, he's going to pick Carter Hart apart. So, no. Would he be just smelling himself? And I imagine he smells like lilacs, but that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> but no, we have back-to-back games, uh, the Devils versus Toronto. I'm I'd put money on the fact that Carter Hart's going to start against the Devils. You know, get back some of that mojo. If he looks great against the Devils, maybe he does get the back-to-back and plays against Toronto. But no, Brian Elliott, he's your man in Pittsburgh. Let's hope we take a win. All right. Fuck the Penguins. Uh let's talk about baseball. Philly's got a new manager. New Woohoo! Skipper. Joe Girardi. Guys stoked about this? The answer has to be no, because I was going to give a hesitant... Why why no? (laughs) Well, it's just the terminology, not stoked. I'm happy about this. I'm cautiously optimistic about this. But I am... I I don't know. I'm not stoked about it. I, I, I was burned pretty hard the last few managers, so... Gene, you geeked. I, I I like the move. I, to me, it seemed like the one that of the you know the the three candidates that had come in to be interviewed, it was the one that actually kind of got my, um, got my my attention. You know, Buck Showalter, yeah, great Orioles guy. You know, made sense. Um, Dusty Baker, sure, but you know, just. Talk about like the 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 definition of like the the kind of a company guy, you know. It just it just didn't seem like that was going to move the needle. Uh, you know, Dusty Baker felt more like a 
um, you know, like a Charlie Manual kind of a, a thing, which, you know, that worked out great for us. But I wanted something that had some some life in it that had some adrenaline in it. And this, uh, this particular move felt like it, it had some, uh, the, the potential to have a little lightning in a bottle. Um, there's a couple things I like about it. He's a former catcher. Um, I think he's going to relate really well to JT Realmuto and anything that helps us secure him for longer than next year. I'm all for, uh, he did great things with the, um, with the pitching staff for the Yankees and um, real has a real affinity for pitchers. Uh, if you didn't see his reaction to the way CC Sabathia kind of finished his career, um, the guy literally like broke up emotionally uh, talking directly to CC Sabathia uh, via MLB TV. It was kind of a, a, not a thing that you see. The only thing I could compare it to would be what I imagine. Like when you see the softer side of Larry Boa come out, um, if you're going to keep it in the Philly, the Phillies kind of arena. Mm-hmm. Um, but that kind of said something to me. It, it it showed me a moment just in that, you know, of I saw more sincerity and more realness in that moment than I saw in two years of Gabe Kapler. In all of his interviews and everything, Gabe Kapler struck me as like we were being managed by some sort of coconut covered uh, data from star trek the next generation like he was he was like an android his skin tone wasn't quite human his his face wasn't quite like he just looked like kind of like a human proximity kind of thing real quick i'm never gonna be able to watch like star trek again without like thinking that data's covered in coconut oil maybe he is how else do you think he like doesn't squeak and stuff when he walks around he's a robot For your all your Android lubricant needs, go to coconut oil. Exactly. That seems like it's the kind of thing you'd have on a starship. And that's not a sponsor, guys. No. That but... is like just our honest endorsement. Any coconut oil companies looking to lube up Androids, uh, we're here for your money. Right. Yeah. I feel like you should be ahead of the uh, uh, what do they call that? That uh, you know, robot life form market. But so you know, Joe Girardi to me feels like. This is a guy who's going to be taken seriously. He's going to be a great interview. He's going to give us a lot more emotion. And I feel like he's the kind of manager that players are going to want to genuinely play for um, because they want to win for him. And I feel like that more than anything else is what we needed. This makes me really question a lot of it. Like this whole postseason activity from the Phillies really has me questioning a lot of things. So here's what I don't understand. Middleton extends Clentac and McPhail. Then they disagree on what to do with Kapler. McPhail and, and, and um, uh, Clentac want to keep him. Middleton wants to fire him. Middleton overrides and and terminates now they're going to this coaching decision and from what i gathered it's clentac and mcphail wanted Showalter, and middleton wanted girardi and so again he has to override them so it's like do you if they don't do what you want them to do why are they there yeah exactly like okay i don't trust you to make these decisions i'm gonna make them for you why are you gm 
You know, why and are you running with teams? working against your vision? Like I get, you know, like I get different re- viewpoints or whatever, but like you guys have to share the same vision of where, you, what direction you want to take the team in. And, it, it, you know, if we have this back and forth, I just don't know if it's going to work. Well, and more concerning is that we know this. Uh, you know what I mean? Like somehow this information is getting made public. And part of it is they're, it's because they're saying it in press conference. Exactly. And that's what I, that, that was going to be my next thing out of my mouth was, you know, we have an owner right now who basically is is airing the laundry in public. And, uh, you know, it's it's fascinating to kind of watch how he has kind of almost done this this heel turn to a certain degree uh, from last this time last year where everybody was like, you know, oh, please, you know, come out of the owner's box and actually take an active hand in running this team. And now that he does, we're all like, whoa, 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 just sign the checks and get out of. I'm not saying I don't like it. I know I'm speaking more to the to the, you know, the your average caller on WIP. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying that I don't like it. I just think that. um and look, this guy's a, a like a billionaire. So, he, who? What do I know? Uh, I'm not. So he's making better t- decisions than I am, I guess. At least well, as far not as necessarily like, about know, baseball, picking his parents and things like that. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. To me, it just seems like a bad way. Like if I if I hired a bunch of people that I constantly am frustrated with, they're not doing what I want them to do. I don't know. It's probably bad on me. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, it's there's one thing to say, okay, the owner is, you know, gets the final say. I can't help but think of Ed Snyder, you know, who says, we are doing this. But you know what? Ed Snyder left a lot of autonomy to, you know, the team president or the team GM or whatever the case may be. You know, you have to trust these guys. If you're overruling them on, the manager entirely, maybe bring in new guys. But maybe you know? Clintac and, and McPhail are lacking the this is the time I was right moment. Right. Well, and that was what I was going to kind of lead to was I think maybe Middleton signed Bryce Harper and then kind of turned to them and said, hey, you know, here you go. Here, you know, you got a, you got a, a fan base that is whipped into a frenzy. Go make the playoffs. And he, he even said in the press conference, he's like, you know, I, I, I don't I don't get up and, and, and you don't need to call me if you want to sign a two million dollar relief pitcher. I don't need to be involved in that decision. But, you know, when it comes to the one hundred and thirty million dollar, 13 year cornerstone of the franchise, when it comes to a manager, you know, yeah, I'm going to be real involved in those decisions. So, uh, you know, to a certain degree, I, I feel like he's kind of basically laid out how they're doing business. Um, I'll give them lots of rope, but lately they seem to be hanging themselves. So now I've got to step in and clean up the mess. And it's a matter of where so you... So why extend them? Why extend... I, I don't what, know. Like, like when you're looking at... When you're you know, doing Clentax, I don't know, performance evaluation. I don't even know if there is one, but... Uh, what is his so you you bought high on Segura you sold low on Crawford uh you 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 used our best prospects to get real muto like anybody could have done that yeah like what is your what, what is your move what's your marquee move you, you rely on pitchers that just have you have no uh history like you have no reason to rely on them 
Like, what's your move, dude? Like, how? why are you a good GM? Tell me. You've yeah. possibly hired hitting coaches that have screwed up what could have been a cornerstone power hitter in your lineup. Um, yeah, no, there's a lot of things that even beyond personnel moves that seem like they they just don't have the right you know, there there's some miscommunication or misfiring in the, in the in the philosophy. Um, you know, that that being said, I think uh, I think Girardi's good for uh, six to eight more wins, which would be really good. I think it's uh, I think it's three to four wins that Kapler lost actively lost for us, and yeah. three to four wins that he will actively win. actively win, which is a pretty good swing. Which you know, honestly, if you if you were just to give me positive like. One positive win, um, to me, that would be bank. You know, you're, you're making you're making money because uh, you're right. I would say that there were four to five. Absolutely, these were, you know, I can put these on the manager. Whether it was how he put the lineup together or pitching moves that he made or whatever. But um, you know, the Phillies cannot be done now. They they need to go and finish what they've started. This cannot be the move for the off season. You need to to go and get pitchers. Uh, you know, if you don't get Garrett Cole, you better get two from the next tier down. Uh, you be- and I would love if Strasburg um, ends up, you know, coming off his deal to go get him. Unfortunately, I feel like Steven Strasburg is going to get overpaid because, as Dave knows, the curse of Steven Strasburg, um, you know, I don't know if I want to inherit that. Um, <laughs> I, I, and-, and by the way, the Nationals... Uh... No, no, uh, no home playoff, no home World Series wins for their fans. Yeah. Well, and and did they lose again tonight? Is yeah, they yeah. Did. yeah so they got smoked. Tonight. So it's three two, you know. And they, if if there was ever what appeared to be a World Series that was in their drive in, in the driver's seat, it was that you know they looked like they were absolutely inc- they were, and then they had a a bullpen game that they faced in game three. It's yeah. been five games. The World Series is three to two. How many games have been fun to watch? One, one, yeah, really, it, honestly, a... one. Game one, right? Yeah, yeah game one was fun it. to watch, but all the other ones have been not that fun to watch. By by the middle innings, you you kind of have knew the outcome. And the Astros down two zero uh, with all, you know, and then they start hitting all these distractions with the assistant GM, um, and then they're going on the road uh, for them to reel off three in a row on the road against against those pitchers. I, I, I was mean, gonna say against really good pitching. They're a great team. Yeah, I I, can't, I really can't see them coughing it up. Now, the, so. the Nationals yeah. are in serious Congratulations trouble. Congratulations to the Houston Astros. Yeah, the World Nationals, the Nationals are, are the Nationals are in serious trouble, and I'm not surprised. Like that to me felt like you know that did not feel like a team that was going to overcome adversity, and they they got punched in the mouth in Game Three. Punch in the mouth. That'll send you to Chuck's penalty box. Thank you so much, Dave. And we're going to send you to the penalty box, Gene. Gene, who is in your penalty box tonight? I um, going back to the Eagles. I uh, I want to say one of the things that I want to put on the band list, and I I don't know if we've ever tried to put a a, a concept on on the in the penalty box or or anything, but I I want to be done now officially with the well, they had a jail at the vet. I want to be done with that. I don't want to hear about it anymore because if anybody was watching post game live, like I was tonight, as Zach Irks went into the locker room, as they were going to commercial or cutting back to the desk there in handcuffs being marched down the tunnel was uh, a drunk bills fan with uh, three cops 
where do you think they were taking him? Um, just you know, were they just going to walk him out to the tunnel and un- uncuff him and and say you're 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 free to go? No, I'm sure they were taking him wherever they process drunken fans that these sorts of things exist. They call them security offices in every. Uh, every stadium in America now, and he was probably processed, and he was probably assessed the fine that was assessed to all those drunken Eagles fans at the in the in the courtroom at the vet. Um, it was not like Judge Wapner's courthouse in the you know you know with 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 bailiffs set up in the in the basement of the vet. Although that would have been an awesome reality show on A and E back in the day. Um, could have been parking wards followed by vet you know vet jail. Uh, or something. I would watch an all-day marathon <laughs> of that. Great. Seriously, like that. Would have been into that. Yeah, maybe we should think about putting the link jail. Producers of of reality TV, call me. Um, but that you we know, actually know one. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, okay. so uh, I want to put the concept of at, at least I want to put it in the penalty box. The concept of the vet jail being unique. Because, uh, you know what? It, it's not. You know, we're not the only place that have people that get too drunk. The B- Buffalo Bills fans are known for jumping off of cars onto tables. You know? That's a really stupid thing to do. I know we eat horse shit, but, you know, at least... Is that the backyard wrestling I nonsense thing? I have no idea why they do that. <laughs> like, it seems... Like, this is how you express that you're a fan is by smashing table? Like, I don't... I just don't... I don't get it. But, I would do it. Uh, I probably would, too, but... um. No, I wouldn't. I'm, I would break so easily. Uh, but anyway, so that's what I in, in the penalty box tonight. The concept of that the vet had a jail, so that makes Philly's fan, Philly fans worse. All right, that's a very existential uh, uh, penalty box this evening. I'm going to say to the tired trope of the vet had its own private legal system. You are getting three to five, depending on good behavior. Three to five years for the tired trope of the vet had its own legal system. Thank you, Dave. I went to locked in. Anyway, All right, Dave, who is in your penalty box this evening? Uh, I'm putting party planners in my penalty box. Look, we get 16 football games a year. Maybe 17, 18 if we're lucky. Uh, you know when they are. They're Sunday. You know when the schedule is. They're either 1 o'clock or 4 o'clock. Please stop scheduling and planning shit on Sunday during your local football team's game. Like, why do we have to do this? Like a birthday party on Sunday at 1 o'clock? Like, are you crazy? Why are you doing this to people? Like honestly, like the are you, do you, are you the only person not interested in watching this game? I, I I just don't understand why you would do that to your community. And it's not just like individual little parties. It's like townships too. It's like oh, let's have a parade at one o'clock on Sunday. Like we know the Eagles are playing, but you guys will all come out anyway, right? Like know your audience, man. This this community thrives on this stuff, and we only get 16 of them for the whole year. So please be respectful and, and uh, you know, stop scheduling your parties and events during the Eagles games. Give us that. 
All right. So this goes out to anyone in the Delaware Valley who has ever hosted an event on a Sunday that conflicts with the Eagles game. You are getting a two-minute penalty for a lack of foresight. Two minutes for a lack of foresight. Chuck, who's in your penalty box? Uh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> in my penalty box is going to be the NHL marketing department. Um, so I don't know. Do you guys remember the sketch on Saturday Night Live of Chance the Rapper playing a sports reporter who has been reassigned to cover an NHL game? No. It is phenomenal. Uh, check it out. I believe it's just called Sports Reporter. And his name is Laszlo Holmes, and he's been reassigned from the Knicks beat to cover the Rangers. And it's a very, very funny sketch. And it has a lot to do with, you know, not knowing anything about hockey and, you know, one reporter going from a mainstream sport to a not named mainstream sport. And then also, you know, the the acknowledgement that this is a black guy covering hockey. So that's, you know, a little odd, a little funny. And then they did a return to this this past week with uh, Chance the Rapper once again hosting Siren Live. He did Laszlo Holmes covering esports. Again, same sort of concept. Very funny. Check it out. Now, the NHL took this concept and took these jokes and did a whole bunch of segments with Chance the Rapper interviewing hockey players. The one thing they didn't include was freaking writers. They <laughs> didn't grab people. They didn't bring jokes. They just have like random shit, random questions. It's like, hey, Chance the Rapper, you were funny in this. Go in improv. So the sketches are bad. For some reason, they have a hip hop like soundtrack which the original sketch didn't so that's just extra racism for you so nhl value writers you're getting a 10 minute game misconduct for not understanding how the artistic process works the other thing i i want to complain about while basically on the same subject when you look up uh, like if you're out and you and you look up hockey scores on espn the mobile site it's it's NFL, NBA, MLB, and then everything else is alphabetical. Why why don't why isn't NHL fourth? I don't understand why why isn't the NHL fourth? I, you don't think anybody wants to check hockey scores? I'd rather have to look through like fifteen other things. I can always pass it. I was like, well, NHL should be no. It's not. Oh, it's all the way down here. I just want to see the flyer score. It's so annoying. Yeah, ESPN does not respect hockey ever since they lost the rights. So, so you're saying I should bring look up on... your versus app or your Outdoor Life Network app? I was going to that, say that'll guess... cover you. All right, there you go. All right, guys. Uh, oh yeah, RIP Union. Yeah, good season. Good See season. See you next year. Union. Yeah, well, we, we promise we'll be we'll get on earlier about you. <laughs> Maybe. All right, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, we'll be back with you next Monday, and you know, hey, it's uh, it's it's all all four sports are active right now, so uh, these are going to be chock full of uh, of great content episodes. So we'll be back next Monday updating, uh, you know, all the teams once again. Um, 
if you haven't done so already, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the uh, to Potadelphia on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, check us out on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All right. Have a great day at work, everybody. We're out of here. <laughs>